Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Good morning, Candeo Church. Good to see you all this morning. If we haven't yet met yet, my name is Trent Elliott, and I am the director of our college ministry, The Salt Company. And uh, speaking of global missions, uh, just a little bit of update from the Salt Company world is we currently have 39 students and one of our staffers overseas sharing the gospel every day. And they're about at the halfway point. And so I just want to invite you to continue to be praying for them. Uh, We've been receiving their updates. They're doing great. They're sharing the gospel. And we've seen several people come to faith this summer, which is super exciting. So praise God uh, for that. But continue to be praying um, for them as they finish hard. Um, A little bit about me. My wife and I, uh, my wife's name is Kirsten, we moved here about a year ago uh, to come be a part of Salt Company. And uh, we have a seven month at home. It's our first daughter, our first uh, child, and her name is Elsie. And she is an absolute joy. We love her so much. She is by far and away one of the biggest blessings that God has ever given us. We love her so much. But here's one of the things I've learned as a new parent. Being a new parent uh, will make you appreciate your own parents more. Right? Maybe, maybe you've, maybe you've uh, uh, become a parent and realized that yourself. Maybe you're a parent you're like, man, I would like my kids to appreciate me more. But that's what we've learned uh, as, as we've, like, there's so many things. I'm like, I didn't know you guys did all this for me, right? The diapers, starting with the diapers. Like, my life right now is, is you know, eat, eat, sleep, and diapers, it feels like sometimes. So that's what my life feels like. So many diapers. The, the wake-up calls in the middle of the night, the screams. You know, 2 a.m., I swear they have something built into them. They know when you're at your deepest sleep cycle, and that's when they choose to wake up. And then on the bad nights, the 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. wake-ups, you know? I, like, I, my, my parents will come and see us. They'll see the tiredness in our eyes. And they're, like, kind of laughing a little bit. And they're like, you see? And now I'm like, thank you so much. You did all of this for me. But that's, like... They're, they're, that's the, the relationship of a child and their parent. And it's taught me a lot about that. Everything from growing up, like learning how to, to talk, how to walk, how to uh, grow up and to be a flourishing human being, to love Jesus. Like this is a huge responsibility that parents have been given. And there's no other relationship really like it, is there? Right? It's one of the most intimate and personal, real relationships. This is what being a parent has taught me. It's made me thankful for my own parents. There's not a relationship that is more intimate than that of a father and a son, a mother and a daughter, or vice versa. What we're going to see this morning as we open up our Bibles to 1 John is that John is going to make an astounding claim about the nature of our relationship with God. He's going to give us a new name by which we can address God, and that name that we can address God is Father. And the new name that we have been given is son or daughter of God. And being given this name carries with it deep implications about the nature of this new relationship that we have with God. So yeah, you're already, if you're already open to 1 John, that's great. We're going to be going through 3.10. As a reminder to where we are at this point, John is writing to these Christians to give them assurance of their faith. Right? And to, to encourage them to continue to remain in Christ in the face of others around them trying to divert them in other directions to remain in Christ. That by continuing to remain in Christ, they are proving that their faith is real. So hop back verse, to verse 28 with me. One, or chapter two, verse 28. So now, little children, remain in him 
so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. We're gonna pause there. So if the call is to remain in Christ, the question can be, okay, how are we to do that? Well, John says, those who remain have been born of him. Maybe you've heard that born again language, to be a born again Christian. What does that mean? Well, if you remember, uh, John wrote the gospel, kind of John as well. And so back in chapter three, he writes, Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And you remember how the Pharisees respond? Right? Almost with a mocking question. They say, okay, how can someone be born twice? Jesus, what are they supposed to enter their mother's womb twice? Obviously the answer is no. And so what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about a different type of birth that we receive. That is a spiritual birth. That when we surrender our lives to Christ, we go from dead in our sin to alive in Christ, given new spiritual life. We are born of God. And now that we've been born of God, what's to make sense? We've been given a new name that we can call God our Father. We've been born of him. We can call him our Father. We didn't just receive forgiveness of sins, but a new Father in heaven. And we are his children. And as John continues, he's going to expand on this idea and the implications it should have in our lives. And so for the rest of our time, I want to camp out on this amazing newfound identity that we have and show how it should affect the way that we live. And so I'm going to go through the text here. I'm going to make four statements that the text makes. Four statements answering the question, what does it mean to be called God's children? Statement number one. As God's children, that's how they're all going to start. As God's children, we are immensely loved. We are immensely loved. Look at back at verse one again. It says, see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children and we are. I love the way that John writes this. He says, see what great love the Father has given us God has given us a gift of love, a gift from God that we, of all people, you and me, in all of our normalcy, in all of our brokenness, that we should be called God's children. A title that is reserved for the most intimate of relationships. To call the God of the universe, the one who created everything, dad, father. You know when something so amazing you almost have to just like say it out loud to each other, right? If like a high school team makes it to the state championship, they're gonna look at around each other like, we're going to the state championship. You have to say it to make it real. That's almost what, what John does here. He says, see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are, and we are. He's looking around it, and we are, we are God's children. It's hard to believe because it's so outrageous, unbelievable, but it's true. God is our Father. See, there are other names that we can call God that make complete sense to us, isn't there? Right? We call him God, which is truthful. He is the one 
true God. We can call him God. We, we call him creator, which speaks to his power and his beauty and the intricate design that he, he, he's designed around us. We call him Lord, which declares the rightful authority that he has in our life and, and that we are his servants. We call him King Jesus, the name for which every knee should bow and tongue confess that he is Lord. We call him holy, 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 which means to be set apart in purity and goodness. One who is impossible to approach without a mediator. The Almighty, the Alpha and the Omega, the mighty God. All names to say, look at God. He is amazing. He is worthy of our praise. These are the names of God. But to throw one more in there, to call him Father is to say something else entirely. To move from the woe, look up there into the heavens and give him praise, the Lord of Lord, King of Kings. And then to call him that same God, a title that is reserved for the most personal and intimate relationships. Father, what a claim. Who are we to call the God of the universe? Father. Yet that is who he is to us. We've been born into a new family where we are the children of the most high God. He is our father. And guys, God loves his children. He loves his children. He's not an absent father. He's not an abusive father. He's a loving father, right? More than you could ever love your child, God loves you. More than you could ever know everything about your child, God knows everything about you. He cares for you. He comforts you. He picks us up when we fall. Our relationship with God isn't a formal one. It isn't a transactional one. It isn't a long distance one, but a personal and intimate love. What great love. There is no greater title to be given than child of God. And we are. For me, one thing I've been thinking about uh, as I've been preparing this is how many times I've prayed, Father God, thank you for this day or Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, right? Then moved on to, to my asks for the day. Just moved on like it wasn't that big of a deal what I just said. Here's the challenge I wanna to present to myself and to us. Let's continue to pray our Father because he is our Father. He invites us to pray in that way. That's who he is to us. But next time we pray that, would we slow down, pause and realize what we just said. Realize who we just addressed God as the privilege that we have to be able to even call God Father and not be struck down in that moment because of Jesus' sacrifice for us that he left his father in heaven so that we could have a father in heaven. What greater love is there? But slow down and recognize the immense love that God has given us that we can call him father. But as we go on in the past, we see there are other privileges and expectations that come with being called God's children. Just as true for any child in a part of a family, privileges, expectations. So let's look at the second statement we see in the text. As God's children... We are becoming like God. Look at verse two with me. Dear friends, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, 
We will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Children become like their parents, right? You guys know those classic progressive commercials, right? Where they basically make the point for better or for worse, like we eventually, we become our parents. Uh, I love those commercials. A few of my, my favorite ones uh, are the, 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 the throw pillows, decorative pillows on the couch. Like there's something about reaching a certain age that makes you just want to line up a couch with decorative pillows. So there's no place to sit, right? I don't know what it is. There's something that it just, you turn into your parents, right? Or uh, another one I liked that they, they did was like, there's something about reaching a certain age. And I feel like I'm about there uh, where, where uh, you just, every time you sit down, you just make a noise. Like the whole world just came off your back. Just like, oh man, just, it, you can't resist. Next time you, you notice sitting down, you're going to make the sound and then just realize you made the sound and laugh. It's going to happen, right? Uh, for me, I used to get so annoyed with how particular my dad was with a Swiffer sweeper, okay? That would be one of my, one of my uh, chores growing up. I'd have to Swiffer sweeper the, the main floor. And I thought I did a pretty good job, but my dad would come around and, and he would make me do it again. Uh, you know, apparently there were some spots on the ground. And I always thought, it's, it's like, you can barely see that. You have to get at the right angle to see that. Like, like it's not a big deal, but he would tell me, no, like the job's not done if it's, if it's not done right, right? And so that's, I would always get so annoyed uh, by that growing up. But now uh, I see someone Swiffer sweeping and I'm like, hey, give me that. Like, you got to really put your back into it. Like, it's like, I, like I've turned into like my parents and that, like we become like our parents. I used to hate Menards. Menards is my favorite store now. That's where my people are at. I love Menards. The truth is that for better or for worse, we become like our parents we become like those who we are closest to. Well, John tells the same, uh, the same is true for our heavenly father. He describes a future day when Christ appears again. That's the day when Jesus comes back to establish his new heavens and new earth, that glorious day. And John says that on that day, it's not, uh, he says that uh, what has been has not yet been revealed. Meaning we don't know exactly what that day will look like. Right? We can't picture it in, in all of its beauty, but here's what we do know. On that day when Jesus comes back, we will be like our heavenly father. It says, we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. We will look like our heavenly father in a way that only those who have been born of him can look like. We'll resemble his character. We'll be sinless as he is sinless. The sin that we hate, that we fight to kill will be completely absent from our life. This is the promise that scripture gives. We see it again in Philippians 3, 21. It says, he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. As God's children, this is our future promise. We will be like our father in heaven. But it's not a hope that we have to wait for. As we see, the reality is that if you have been born of God, that process of becoming more like him has already begun. Becoming like God is a future hope, but it's also a present process. The theological word for this process of becoming more and more like God is sanctification. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we are being transformed into the image of God from glory to glory, from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory to the next degree of glory. We've not only been justified by the Father, 
meaning our sins forgiven. We're also being sanctified, becoming more and more like our Father every single day. So how does this sanctification process work exactly? How do we become more like our Heavenly Father? Well, let me tell you how it doesn't work. Sanctification is not like sunbathing. It's not like sunbathing where you just go out by the poolside, you recline your chair, you get out a nice book, nice drink, and you just kind of sit back and just let the holy rays of God transform you. And and, at the end, you kind of have a nice spiritual tan. That's not what sanctification is, where you just sit back, just God does all of the work. Look at verse three again. It says, and everyone who has this hope, this future hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who has this future hope of looking like their heavenly father, how are we supposed to begin this process? By purifying ourselves today. By putting off our old selves and putting on our new selves. By actively fighting sin and pursuing righteousness. Sanctification is not sunbathing where God does all the work. Sanctification is a cooperative process. Meaning that in order to begin looking more like Christ, It's going to both require God's spirit to transform. We're not going to miss that. It does require God's spirit to transform us, to pick us up when we fall and scrape our knees. And it requires our active and ruthless effort to kill sin in our lives. To identify those areas in our lives that are impure, not the way of our Father, and to purify ourselves. We have both a beautiful future promise. That is, as a child becomes their parents, we are going to become like our heavenly father. And one day that will be realized in its full. But our call now is with the help of our father to begin that process, to purify ourselves. It's going to take effort and persistence and prayer and accountability, but it's worth it to become like our father. So is there an area of sin in your life that God is calling you to actively fight against. Not just wait for God to burn that sin away, but to take action today. Third statement. As God's children, we are called to obedience. As God's children, we are called to obedience. Look at verse four with me again. It says, everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins and there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Okay, at first glance, that, especially that last verse, a little tough. It says, everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Is John saying that if there is sin present in my life, then I don't know God? Because if so, that's a problem for me and I think for a lot of us. To understand what John is saying here, we have to step back and understand context. So stepping back, what is one of John's main goals in sending this letter? We've seen it a number of times to provide assurance to the true Christian and to distinguish among them who is an imposter. And who does John warn us that the imposter is? First John 1.8, he said, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, we make him a liar, the truth is not in us. 2.15, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 2.22, who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? The imposters that John is warning the church about are those among them who claim to be with them, but deny that they're sinning, 
love the world and deny Christ. They take the truth and say, oh, that's not that big of a deal. You can believe whatever you want to believe and we can still kind of live amongst each other. We're still with you. But John makes clear that the sin that they are denying is a big deal. It says in verse four, everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. John leaves no wiggle room in defining what sin is. He says it's lawlessness, it's rebellion against God. It's a deliberate defiance and a rejection as, of God as the Lord of your life. That's what sin is. And in a culture that says, do whatever makes you happy, right? Or uh, the, the Christian version, do whatever makes you happy as long as it's not that bad, as long as it's not that sin, as long as it doesn't affect the people around you. I think we need to hear this. Satan would like us to believe that sin isn't a big deal, but it is. Satan would like us to believe that obedience to God is not a big deal, but it is. Why does a parent ask a child to obey the rules that they've established? Why did my mom uh, make me wear a life jacket in the Mississippi River for, for uh, when I was a kid, and if I'm honest, still today? Uh, why, why, did she, why did she do that? Was it to deprive me of joy? No, it was because she saw, that she knew of a current that was underneath that my young eyes couldn't see that has killed people. She didn't establish the rule to deprive me of joy, but to help me to live and to flourish. So is the same with God. He wants us to obey and trust that he is our, has our flourishing and greatest joy in mind. So that's why he sets boundaries. That's why he, he shows us the way so that we can flourish but can we trust him? And that's where children get hung up, isn't it? Trusting or doubting whether their parents actually have their best interest in mind. How can we know that God has our best interest in mind? Look at verse five. It says, you know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins and there is no sin in him. How can we know that God is good? Because Jesus came to earth to take away our sins because God came on a rescue mission to save his lost child. A father's love is proven by the extent in which he's willing to go and save his child, isn't it? That's why we love the movie Taken with Liam Neeson and he gets on the phone with his, the abductor of his, of his child and says, and I will find you and I will kill you, right? And he says it way cooler than I ever could. I, I, yeah, he's, he's way cooler than I am. Uh, but then he goes and he saves his child. He goes across the world. He does everything that is necessary to save his child. Motivated out of what? Love for that child. To what extent does God the Father prove his love for us? By doing whatever is necessary to save his child. By leaving the heavens to come to earth himself, by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, who had no lawlessness in him, has never run away from the father to die on the, de the death that we deserve on a cross so that we could be reunited with our father in heaven. This is the gospel. We are the kids that have run away with nowhere to go. He's the one who's chased us down to give us mercy and bring us home. And so with that context, let's read verse six again. It says, everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. It's not that in order to be a Christian, you have to be 
perfect and without sin, because John says anyone who says that's a liar. But a true Christian is someone who recognizes their sin, who have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and now has a new view on obedience to God. One who sees God as the loving, saving father that he is and now treats sin seriously and isn't okay with lawlessness, but pursues faithfulness and who when they stumble and they will stumble, runs back to their father for forgiveness time and time again. If this isn't the pattern of your life, repentance and obedience, if you have a blatant disregard for sin, it doesn't matter that much. If you have an apathy towards obedience, then clearly you have not seen the father. But for those of us who have experienced the grace of the gospel, there is no other appropriate response than to say, Father, lead me where you want. You are the only one on this earth that truly has my greatest joy and flourishment in mind. You are the true and good, loving Father that we long for. God, would I believe that more often and joyfully obey you today and every day. So let's call sin what it is, lawlessness. And let's obey our Father, whom we can trust because he has proven his love for us. Last statement. As God's children, we are identified by how we love. Look at verse seven with me. It says, little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The son of God was revealed for this purpose to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. How can we know if someone is truly a child of God? John says that eventually it will become obvious by their actions. Right? This is a root to fruit argument that the health of the fruit we see on the surface over time will inform us about the health of the roots in our heart. Or similarly, those who have God's seed, which means to be born again and given the Holy Spirit, if this is true of you, you've been given a new heart, then over time what's gonna happen is we're gonna see good fruit produced. We're gonna see life change. You're gonna go back to your hometown or people you haven't seen in a long time and they're gonna notice something is different about you. This is how it works. When you're close to someone, you begin to look like them. Right? Just how we resemble our family. Our physical characteristics, values, mannerisms reveal who our parents are. Fun fact about me, when I was born, my head was on the 99th percentile. I have, I have a big head. Uh, right when my daughter was born, one of the first things we noticed, she's got that Elliot head. Also 99th percentile, that's my girl, proud of her. Uh, we, resemble, like we resemble our family. You know how you can kind of go around Candeo and see kids uh, going around and you don't like, you've never like put it, the connection together of exactly who the parents are, but you kind of know who the parents are just by how they act, right? right? The joy that they bring, right? The attitude that they have, the work ethic, whatever it is, we resemble our family. 
You can go and look this up uh, on, uh, you know, or whatever, YouTube or something like that. And uh, if you see Tiger Woods and his son, Charlie Woods, there's videos of them going side by side comparison and their mannerisms are exactly the same. He spent so much time with his dad that they have the same approach to the tee shot. They have the same drop of the club after a good shot. They have the same famous fist pump, right? They look exactly the same because he spent so much time with his father. We resemble our family. And John is saying, that if God is truly our father, it's going to become obvious because he showed tremendous love for us on the cross. And so the more that we are shaped by that grace and transformed by the Holy Spirit, the more that we are going to love other people. We are God's sons and daughters. And if we spend time with our spiritual dad, and remain close in proximity to him and delight in him and obey him and learn from him, then we're gonna start looking like him. Our lives are gonna be marked by love and grace and forgiveness and generosity because that's who our dad is. Do you resemble that God is your father by the way that you love others? Does your life tell others that you are not of the world's family, but of God's family. I wanna end by sharing a quote that one of our other SALT staffers, Logan Swaim, used uh, this past Thursday at SALT Company, but I think it fits really well here from J.I. Packer. It says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. So maybe that's the question that we need to leave here today thinking about how much do you make of the thought of being God's child and having God as your father? Does that blow your mind? Or is he more like an insurance agent, you know? Good in case of an emergency, you know, in case I die, I'll be, I'll be good. Like a good neighbor, Jesus is there when I need him, right? Or is he like an angry principal, a boss who, who, you, who you obey when you know he's looking over your shoulder? Or is he all those other names that are good and true, Lord of Lord, King of Kings, right? Good and true, but you haven't seen him who he is also to you, Father. Whatever it is, how you view your relationship with God is gonna determine your love for him and love for others. And I'm telling you, no one loves their insurance agent, right? You might like your insurance agent, you might be thankful for them. No one loves their insurance agent. I'll tell you who you do love. The father who adopts you when you have nowhere else to go. Who goes to great lengths and suffers tremendous personal cost to bring you into the family, who will never abandon you or abuse you, who cares about you immensely. This is the type of God who is easy to follow, who is easy to love, to follow and obey, because you can fully trust him. This is our God. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, that we can even address you with that name right now. 
Lord, that we can come to you and call you dad, that we can come to you and call you father, a name that's reserved for the most intimate of relationships, God, but this is who you say you are to us. God, would we not move past that so quickly anymore? God, would we realize your love for us, your pursuit of us, the extent that which you went through to bring us into the family. God, help us to see that as beautiful. Lord, and would it shape everything about our lives? The fact that we are your children. We're not the world's children anymore. God, I pray that you would use this new identity to reshape our lives. We are your children, Lord, and we want to obey you. Help us to obey you, God. Help us to obedient. Help us to fight sin. Help us to love others. This is what it means to be a part of your family. God, and now we, we just want to worship you. You're a God that's worth worshiping. You're a God that we're able to worship in a close and intimate way. So Lord, would our worship be glorifying to you? Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.